Hey, what's up, everybody? Thanks for listening to another episode of Pipeline. On this episode, we have a great guest. Her name is Rosie Guest, and she's the CMO of Apex Group, a very large financial services company. But she was there for the last seven years. She rose through the ranks as a marketing leader, now as CMO. She runs the whole thing. She's awesome. We talked a lot about her career path, the importance of measuring marketing on influence revenue instead of sourced revenue in a very field sales enterprise type sales motion, six months plus. Uh, Great episode. She's an awesome guest. I think you're going to really enjoy it. Here we go. This is the latest episode of Pipeline with me and Rosie Guest. All right, Rosie. So for people that might not be familiar with who you are and what you do, can you uh, just give everybody a, a little bit of a background? Sure. Yeah. So my name is Rosie. I'm the Chief Marketing Officer at Apex Group, which is a global financial services provider, predominantly servicing asset managers. Um, But what's really unique and nice about Apex is that it has a really solid purpose that's focused on driving change. So driving change in our industry, driving change in terms of we've got a strong focus on the environment, um, society, and also for me personally about bringing females up within the financial services space, which is still underrepresented at a senior level. So that's me. So there's about 15 things that we could spend the whole time (laughs) in that bucket. First, just talk about the, like, were those all values that the company had before you, you joined and that that's what made you join or like, has that been a part of change that you're, that you're driving? That's been a part, a big part of change um, that I'm driving alongside our, our founder and CEO. So we've been on a massive acquisition journey over the last four years. So we were cap- recapitalized by a large private equity, US private equity firm about four years ago, which has led to a massive injection of, of support in, in terms of cash flow. So we've made 21 acquisitions in the last four years. So <laughs> it's oh, been yeah. chaotic. And what that looks like in practical terms is we've increased our employees from about 300 to at the end of this year around 8,000 and in terms of the size of the business we we work on assets and we've gone from 60 60 billion to nearly 2.2 trillion so huge huge growth yeah it's a okay, different this company is so far out, this is so far out of my league like I'm like a startup <laughs> marketing guy you know there's 20 people in the company whatever and that's um, exactly what it was when I joined though there was no marketing function at yeah. apex so it's for me, it's been like a super exciting journey to establish the function itself. And now we've got to this sophisticated arena where, to your point, we're, we're now starting to be able to focus on that purpose piece and bring those elements in. How have you personally – it's interesting because I think a lot, of, a lot of people in your situation don't ride that wave from the beginning, right? Because typically you join because you're more of like a builder and now you're at this massive company – can you just talk about people that listen to this show are really interested in like growing their careers. And so yeah. just like from the marketing leader side of it, like how how have you had to evolve as a marketer and marketing leader? What's different about Rosie today than Rosie than startup Rosie? Oh, well, huge amount. I mean, seven years of age to start with. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, right. That's a lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, no, I mean, I think when I joined, it was very financial services, traditional financial services is quite behind when it comes to marketing and comms. So, the, the first thing was just kind of getting that function established and to be taken seriously. And so, I've made it my mission at Apex to demonstrate that marketing and comms is a strategic partner to the business. It's not this kind of subservient, order-based situation 
situation where sales go to marketing and request something and there's no strategy behind it. So for me to be able to drive my career through the business has very much been about proving those points. So in financial services, numbers talk. So the first thing I did was establish the demand funnel. And then from there, when you're able to prove that you're you're adding to the bottom line, you're creating revenue, you get more investment, which enables you to bring in other elements of the function. So for me, it's always been, and I say this to my team all the time, make sure that you demonstrate the value of marketing before you try to, to do anything else. And I think also talk the language of, of your stakeholders. So for me, it was always our, luckily enough, I report directly into our CEO, who's the founder. So he holds the keys to the kingdom. And if you can, <laughs> if you can you negotiate well with them and get on the right side, then that's the way forward. Can you talk us through like the go-to-market and the funnel for, for your business? Yeah. So the way that we've structured specifically marketing, I guess, the way that we've structured the team is, is first of all, obviously my, my role in, in dealing with our product teams and our sales teams to establish a strategy alongside the senior leadership team. And actually, I joined the executive committee January this year. So a seat at that table really helps in understanding the direction of the business. Then it's we've got portfolio marketing. So we're tr- really trying to drive that audience-centric piece. And that's around go-to-market positioning of our products. And we have a really complex service, which I'm not even going to try and explain. It's it's rarely understood by anyone outside of our industry. So in that respect, the go-to-market is, is different for every region, different for every type of client that we have. So really complicated. So our role is, as a marketing team is not only to educate the market, but also internally our stakeholders. And also when you're growing at that rate, bringing in different, you know, let's, diversified let's products. Go blah, blah, blah. The, let, let's go deep on the portfolio marketing and then I'll, I'll yeah. remember and we'll, we'll talk about the rest of the team. So that seems like a tough job too, right? You you mentioned that just from a storytelling perspective and a pro, you mentioned product marketing, you've yeah. made 20 something acquisitions. There's multiple products. Like how does that all fit together? So we really had to strip that back. So first of all, for us, it was about, we actually, where a lot of our success has come from in terms of product marketing and really getting close to the product team and the sales team was about looking at content. Um, and for us, that's where everything stems from because it's how we demonstrate the value of our business. So we did a big content audit early on to understand how the content was being used, what was being used at what stage of the sales cycle. And that's actually really weirdly because it's it's not necessarily what you would particularly associate with product marketing or portfolio, but that's structured how that team operates. And then from there, the value proposition, the personas, and really understanding how we personalize content for our different audiences. So I think that that team, their, their sole alignment with our product segments and our business leaders has enabled us to sort of help drive revenue through product marketing or portfolio. And um, so that's been an important step in the, in the journey. Okay. So, so you got portfolio marketing is one team. What are the other yep. teams? So they then feed into our demand team. Our demand team is kind of hybrid at the moment. So it's almost like field marketing, demand marketing, because we're split, we've got 50 offices worldwide. So we split them by region, but they are focused on demand and actually looking at how we can regionalize our content, but generating leads targeted with that, targeted with revenue. So they're real kind of hunter gatherers. Um, so they also are facilitated by digital. And then over the top, we have marketing operations and brand and corporate comms. Got it. So you said key term that I heard was facilitate digital. And so it seems like, is it a very field driven, like in-person selling, like is most of the demand generated from, from sales and marketing is kind of like offsetting that or what's this, what's the mix? 
No, twofold. So, I mean, because it's a complex sales, so our sales cycle is about six months minimum, sometimes two years. So for us, it's much more around marketing influenced than marketing sourced. And we do source revenue um, through the full chain, through the full funnel, but that number is much smaller in comparison to the influence piece. And that's why the buyer's journey is is key for us. And and that's why digital is more of a facilitator of what the demand team put together campaign-wise. I'm going to come back to that. So we got portfolio marketing, we got demand. What else? Creative? Well, interestingly, we outsource a lot of creative at the moment. This is our next focus area. So as I said, like building the case for marketing and investment in marketing was really focused on those demand roles. And now what we're doing is investing in those other areas that link into purpose and how do we how do we evolve our brand messaging creative. So we've outsourced creative support up until this point. But next year, the plan is to really bring that in-house and hone that further within the team. Okay. So I, I, t- I tried to talk for you there and I said creative and I swung and I missed. So portfolio marketing <laughs> demand. Well, yeah. Portfolio marketing demand, the digital team sits separately from the demand and they're focused on all of that, you know, website stuff. We have five sub brands. So there's a lot of administrative stuff that goes into that in addition to optimization, attribution modeling, all of those kinds of things. And then for us, digital actually sits under marketing operations, which is a relatively new function for us. Um, new function for financial services as well. So it's difficult to find those candidates um, and their responsible. So ABM also sits within that marketing ops piece for us. A couple things that are interesting to me. Number one, that you have demand and digital split out. Is that, yeah. that's probably intentional because you've been there for a while. Why, why is that? It's a good question. I think some of the way that we're structured is needs-based. So when you're like moving at this velocity, reporting lines and the way we segment the the team is sometimes irrelevant. And I was actually having this conversation with, with one of my management team earlier today in that the team is so integrated and so hybrid because it's small. It's still less than 30 people. So for the size of business that we have, we're really lean. So those reporting lines are kind of sometimes inconsequential. If everybody's doing, the machine is operating in the way that it should, it's kind of irrelevant where the function sits. But it's, yeah, it, it was intentional. Um, it's also skills-based. And also when we say our demand team, they do get involved in digital. So they'll put together ad campaigns. It's all very integrated in that sense. Portfolio marketing demand, digital marketing ops. Do we miss anything? Brandon comms. Brandon comms. And I guess the size and stage of your company, I'm assuming that Brandon Combs is a pretty busy role. Yeah. And I'm doing a lot of that myself, actually, at the moment. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's an area, as I said, that we're focused on building out next year. But I love that element of it because I've spent so much of my time with the operations, the revenue. It's mm-hmm. now exciting. And particularly as we're getting the investment and there's an appetite to look into those things. So we've, I mean, I appreciate you're Americans. This might not be exciting for you, but we're doing things like sponsoring cricket teams. So the West Indies cricket team and the T20, which is a big deal, but we're being their sustainability partner. So the way, the the creativity that we get to bring into it now on the brand of comms piece is good. That's awesome. No, I I do appreciate it. I love it. I wish I had budget to go sponsor a sport, a sports team. That'd be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is Um, it. This is my case for budget is get the demand in first. You're thinking about the brand and like you kind of have come up through more of the revenue ops side of things. And now you get to put that brand hat on like 
How is that influenced? How are you thinking about the goal of this or the measurement of, of this? And not, not measurement, like you're not mm-hmm. doing this to direct, generate direct sales, but you must be thinking about like, where does this fit in the broader, like, you know, marketing and company goals yeah. that you have? Yeah. Well, ultimately there's going to be some kind of exit, right? With our, with our private equity investor at some point. So I have to be prepared for every eventuality. So if that's an instance that our company could potentially IPO at some point, that's really the way that we need to be thinking. So outside of our close knit industry of financial services, why should anyone care about Apex? And in order to translate that, we have to be more than just a service provider. You know, there has to be, and also just to be an attractive employer as well. It's not enough anymore to to just talk about service and say all the same things everybody else is saying. You've got to have something more tangible to play with and also something that's got a bit of integrity behind it. So like your reputation. Exactly. Yeah. And how do you change reputation? Because this is the other challenge we have when you've gone from that kind of mid-tier provider to this huge or nearly the biggest in our space now, and also moving outside of our space. How do you change brand perception in such a short space of time? It's a question we ask ourselves every day. And some of that's investment, you know, and and eyeballs, but um, there has to be the authentic message behind it as well. I also think like a lot of it can be like, it can be also perception too. Like you might not be, have a measurable way of changing overnight, but by you associating yourself with this cause and you actually back it up and do the work, I think you do, you begin to shift the story for you, you begin to change the context that people should use to tell your story. So then when they see Apex with the, I forget the team name, but you know, working on the sustainability cause, you can kind of start to piece that together. And it's just a harder one because there's no hardcore measurement for it, but you have to do it by association. Yeah, exactly. And there are things, I mean, brand is always one of those difficult things to measure, isn't it? There are things you can do. One of the things that we've noticed over the last year in particular is we're being invited to pitches with some of the biggest asset managers in the world. So we would never have got a seat at that table before. So those are, you know, intangible, but it's all linked. I love that. That's a perfect example of that. People ask like so much, like, how do you measure brand? And there are ways to measure it, but like, one of the best is like, you feel it, right? Are you, is the sales team getting meetings that they were not getting a year or two ago? That's the ultimate measure. And it's just like, it doesn't show up in this perfect row in your spreadsheet. But if the exec team knows and the CEO probably knows and the product person probably knows, then yeah, you don't need to argue about it. How do you stay sane? And maybe you're not. And so I, I don't, I don't know that. But <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Like, you have hundreds, hundreds of, hundreds of employees, products, you mentioned 50 different regions, like you can't possibly get to everything as the CMO or maybe you do, but like, how how do you sleep at night? (laughs) This is something I was actually talking about the other day. And I used an analogy, which went down quite well last time. So I'll use the same analogy, but well, I did a, a course on short story writing as part of my education. And one of the things I learned in writing short stories was you have to kill your darlings. So it, it's about being able to like let go of those things that you're really passionate about. You really wanted it to work. And you can't, I think as marketers, it's really difficult, particularly on creative things. You know, it's our baby and we, we really want to kind of make it, take it to fruition or whatever. But I think you have to be A, comfortable with change and ready to kill your darlings. So my interpretation of that is you have to basically say, yes, there's a hundred things that we could be doing. Yeah. 
we're only doing these five, are we in agreement that we're only doing these five CEO, whoever else? Yes. Okay. Then yes, there, and I'm asking, this is like therapy for me because I've only managed, I've managed much smaller teams than you have, but like the hardest thing for me is like, there are so many good ideas. There's so many things we could, we should fix that website page. We should have a presence in that region. We should be at that event, but also the team is burnt out. Everyone's doing a million things already. And so like, is it, is it just a discipline thing that like you have agreement with the team on like what you're going to focus on? Yeah. And a continual reminder for them as well to prioritize the right things. It's so easy to get distracted. I think it's a culture thing as well. You've got to get the right kind of people that are interested and excited about that kind of environment because it isn't for everybody. And if you're the kind of person and similar to what you do, Dave, in the fact that you're, you know, startup, you you must be familiar with this as well, that if you want to do long-term campaign planning with big budgets, it's the wrong place. If you really want to get involved, make an impact, see what you're doing, tangible change, it's a good place. So true. It's so true. And I, I I have a community with a bunch of marketers and like the number people ask lots of questions about planning. And I always say like, it's tough to give you planning advice unless I know the context of your company. Because for example, 2015 drift, we didn't really have an annual plan. We literally were making up the marketing plan month by month. It was like, let's yeah. see if we can get a thousand people to sign up this month. And that was perfect for that stage of the company. But at a bigger company, right? Like if the company right now planned in one month cycles, everybody would go would go crazy. But at your company or at Drift today, planning is done in 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 that context. And so, yeah, that's great advice. Okay, I have a sixteen under other post it notes that I got to ask you about. This is what I do. People, some people like it, some people don't. You mentioned influence. We focus on influence versus source. Can you yeah. go back to that? Yeah. So that has been also that's a challenge to measure sometimes, and also. I think buy-in from senior management, what that actually means is important. So uh, what we it's, look it's at... Also, it's also, I asked you a question then interrupt you, sorry. Uh, <laughs> sorry. But it, I think it's also, I wanted to ask you with the context of your model, which is like, yeah. you have this field motion and then, so it's, it's field sales. It's, you said six months sales cycle. That's a long time, right? And mm-hmm. so it's much easier for marketing attribution if you're in a very highly digital model, right? Like yeah. people are coming to your website, they're signing up for the free version. It's much harder in your model. And so that's why I was going to ask you the question about influence versus source. And now I'm going to shut up. Yeah. No. So it's just about multiple touch points. So for us, it's a big education program. So to your point, it's not a subscription model. They don't sign up. There's no freemium, although we have brought that in in a, in a separate element. But traditionally, yeah. it's this big, complex sales cycle. And going back to the brand piece, first of all, there's do they trust your brand? Do they know about you? Are their investors going to know who you are? A And then that big, long nurturing session. So getting in front of them from an event perspective, what kind of, ours is very, very content driven, very content heavy. We usually have our like big rock of content as everybody does. And then you repurpose. Um, But for us, it's looking at multiple touch points using that to see what level of influence have we had. And we can see the tangible results. So it usually in terms of like marketing influence, we look at is the deal size bigger? Yes, it is. It's 50% bigger than the deals that are just sourced by sales with zero marketing involvement. Is the deal length or the time to close shorter? No, not really. It still requires that amount of nurturing on both sides. And is the ability for the sales team to upsell and cross-sell 
bigger, yes, because marketing is supplementing with that additional data. So part of our acquisition strategy has been bringing all these new products. Impossible for our sales team to understand or know them all. So it's our job to help serve them up to the clients as well to increase that deal size. So it's not all about pipeline or closed revenue. It's all of those other nuanced measurements that are really important when it comes to influenced. That's a great stat, by the way. Fifty. The, the deals are 50% bigger when they're sourced through marketing. When they're influenced by marketing yeah, as well, but both. Yeah. That, yeah. Sorry. In the influence versus, versus sourced makes complete sense. Someone coming to you versus sales going, going to them. And that helps, that helps you justify the, the case for marketing around the business. You mentioned content being a big piece of that. What are you using to, to, to measure that influence like of the digital touches? How, how are you, how do you actually do that? So from a sales enablement perspective, we use Seismic, which is, I don't know if you're familiar with, but it's one of those sales asset management tools. And one of the, the cool things we've recently done is integrate that with Salesforce. So we had some adoption issues. Our sales team is, is relatively mature. So they've all been doing it for a long time. They're not really interested in new ways of doing things. They don't want to learn this new technology. Um, so we struggled with that until now we've integrated with Salesforce and they can see they're served up content that says, hey, this is relevant at this point of the sales cycle. This has worked in the past. And it's suddenly this really, you know, data-driven insights are, are really yeah. helpful for them. So that's, um, I mean, we try to integrate any piece of technology that we bring in, including Drift so, with Salesforce. Like, what are you specifically, how are you measuring that uh, influence? Like what, what actually happens? Well, a, f- a few things. So depending on, so what we'll look at is, is, Marketing touch points, you know, outbound marketing. We'll look at have they visited the website, have they downloaded anything, all those traditional things all of us do. And then we'll kind of aggregate the data together. And this is something that we're just starting to do now is looking at when we are how many times on average are we having to touch them before that that looks like a marketing influence because the, the worst thing you can do i think as a marketer is hope that it's had an influence and really you just lose all credibility with the rest of the business when they're like well, marketing had absolutely nothing to do with that that was my friend from school or something you need to be really careful about how you define what that influence is so it's all of those things that we're bringing to bear and i'll be honest with you it's also a work in progress so there are some areas where we're like was that really marketing influence i'm not sure we can claim that. So I think it's about refining that, making sure that you're clear on your touch points, using scoring as well, scoring yeah. and grading, being close to the to the sales team. Um, and that's that's the other thing we've just starting to think about is commission-based plan for our demand marketers um, so that they're seen more as hunter-gatherers like our sales team and also kept in further down the sales cycle with sales. I think that's important for marketing now. We can't just sit at the top of the funnel. And, and are those like content assets that you're creating, are they... Is the goal of them to funnel people to to sales or is it like open-ended and, and hopefully someone will read it and then reach out to the team? The goal is always to funnel them to sales, always. I think sometimes we do it too soon. So again, this is a conversation we, we are having at the moment is we don't want to funnel someone straight into sales just because they downloaded a white paper. They're definitely not ready. That's not a hand raiser. So what do we then do based on the data we have to continually nurture that? that person over said sales cycle. And then probably at some point, because there's multiple different stakeholders, it's a buying group for us. It's never just one person. So the influence is not just about the person. It's about all of the personas within that account. So we might be influencing the user versus the decision maker. So how do we attribute that at the end of the funnel? 
You mentioned having a mature sales team. Those are your words, not mine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and that's something that comes up a lot, the hesitation for digital, right? And especially mm-hmm. what's happened in the last two years has completely changed the field and enterprise sales function. What advice would you have for people who are in a similar situation to where you were like, I got this field sales org, like we got all these tools, we got seismic, we're using drift, like, but I can't get them to use it. Like, you know, what approach did you take? And how, how did you actually make that stuff happen? So for us on the adoption piece, it was continual education so we were doing and we still do actually with seismic we've had it for about a year and a half weekly office hours because there's always new features coming out or there's a new salesperson or there's a salesperson that just hasn't bothered to use it in a month or whatever it is I think it's continual education you have to have that ongoing and then also proving the data so we will we always have a slot on every Monday we have a, a global sales call which has a 10 minute slot right at the start for marketing. So we'll use that opportunity to say, hey, here's a great example of when sales worked really closely with marketing, they used this software and, and this was the solution and we'll prove it to them with figures and facts. Cause ultimately I think for a salesperson to want to use something, there's got to be something in it for them. So training and then proving and giving them examples of of where it's worked and just keeping on that because you can give them 10 examples and if it's not their own example, maybe they don't care. Also, like when you sh- when you show someone else's success on their team, like, hey, this is Rosie. She's on the sales. She did this thing using Seismic. Then if I'm a rep who's not, I'm like, oh, she that helped her close it. Okay, I'm going to try. Exactly. So I think like using those examples. You report to the, C- the, the CEO. Yeah. How are you measured? And can you share how you communicate to the CEO regularly about what you're doing? It's an interesting flip reverse because I push for the measurement. So going back to what I said at the beginning, going back to what I said at the beginning, marketing was really not. It was seen as kind of you know go go get some banners, stands printed, yeah. make us some flyers. So I've driven that measurement piece, and I'm like, please give me targets. And I mentioned Measure just me. yeah. yeah, I'll prove it. So um, awesome. I mentioned this earlier, the SaaS piece, it was something that we brought into our business. Um, it's a, a freemium model kind of to introduce investors and GPs market. I have my funnel in the middle. And I always think when I show my funnel, you kind of mouths open because they don't expect marketing to be contributing to that in that way or to be giving them. It's far ranging for me the remit. We also have CSR, employee advocacy, employee comms. So there's that other element. And then the second slide, I'll always do core initiatives or or core priorities, which are things that I know will resonate with that stakeholder group. Love it. This is one of those take notes podcasts that we're getting schooled (laughs) from Rosie today. Also, the thing you mentioned is so important. Anybody that's in marketing that's listening to this, that wants to grow into a marketing leadership role, like I've been lucky to interview a ton of CMOs like yourself, and they have kind of one trait in common, which is at some point, unless they were already being measured that way because the whole company got marketing, they were the ones that raised their hand and say, measure me. Here's how we should think about marketing. Here's how I want to be held accountable. Like, Do you feel like that was a key piece in your career and you taking ownership of your your career path as a CMO? Huge. Yeah. I think it's still today. You know, you have to push the envelope for your function, particularly in this environment, but I'm pretty sure it's true of most environments and marketing's changing all the time. So we know, we know what's going on, but you have to keep pushing that with 
with your CEO or whoever it is you're reporting to or whoever you're accountable to, to show the value and demonstrate what you're actually bringing to the business. Because I don't know what it's like for you, but marketing is still seen for us. Yes, we're we're in the C-suite now, but probably not seen as quite as serious as finance or as operations. And so you still have to keep finding ways to demonstrate why you're core to the business. I don't ever want to be as serious as finance though. <laughs> Our finance director is secretly not serious. <laughs> no, I think the, any successful marketing leader has also had an amazing finance partner who doesn't just understand finance, but understands what you're trying to do from a marketing perspective. And, and that is a huge, that is a huge advantage. Huge. And actually, you've, you've really hit on something there because I think sponsors, people talk about mentors a lot. For me, I haven't, I have a mentors, but not a mentor, a marketing mentor, a comms mentor at all. For me, my success has been through kind of that social capital piece and having sponsors at that C-suite that aren't in your in your remit. They aren't marketers and and that's not their concern, but they can back up that what you're doing is serious and contributing. And that's been invaluable for me. Well, and and like they want to work with you, right? That that product is like, oh, we got to go get with Rosie's team early because this is that we think this is going to be huge or the customer success team or you know whatever function you have like that. They want to partner with you. It makes it even on the finance side, like I'm not a finance guy, but I've been lucky to have to work with finance people who get excited by the marketing things that we do. And they're like, look, you're good at this stuff. I'm good at this stuff. I can help you. Like we don't have to battle on this. Like we can work together on this. And I think that was something that was very liberating for me as a junior marketer growing my career, which is like, I don't have to be an expert at all these different areas. Like, but you have to know how to work and, and get influence and influence those teams and have them respect what you're doing in marketing. Those are the keys. If you, if you don't have that respect and authority or whatever, and you don't know finance or those other areas, then you're in trouble. But if you can get that, yeah. you, can, you can build this relationship and work with those teams super effectively. Yeah, I totally agree. I think one element that marketers now do need is to be commercial. You can't just be creative. You Mm. can't kind of sit to the side. You have to be commercial. And a great example of that. And again, I've been lucky because I've kind of been building the function as the company has been built. So it's like driving the train whilst building the tracks, which I love. But one of the things that stuck out to me at the very beginning was budgeting. I was like, this thing is all over the place. We need to strip this back and rearrange how we're going to centralize the marketing budget and how we're going to deal with that with finance. And that has now formed the template for all of the other group functions. So I get someone sent to me like the CEO is like, hey, go speak to Rosie about how you need to sort your HR budget out. Because if you take the initiative in those things, it, it really just sort of solidifies that marketing, we have brains as well, commercial brains. Commercial and creative is a great is a great line. That would be like a good, that would be a cool brand, commercial. commercial. It would. Okay. I got two questions that we're going to wrap up with. First is what's something that you wish as a CMO, we got all this digital, it's 2021. We got 10,000 SaaS marketing tools, but what's some pain point that you still wish that you could get solved as a CMO that hasn't really been solved yet? Data, data integrity. Uh, I'm sure you'll get the same answer from all of us, but 
you're so dependent on it and you know to being dependent on salespeople updating contact or a data team making sure it's right it's just I think that we haven't found the solution to that yet and I we're moving there you know there's data rooms and there's that stuff's coming down the pipe but you know, a lot of investment for that so for the everyday marketer that's not available so I think that yeah if someone can wave, wave a magic wand and sort data out that'd be great that's a good one. It is a good one. People people don't off, often say that, but damn, if that is not the foundation of being successful. It's like, if we just had one source of truth for data, there'd be no arguing. And like the amount of time we spend on attribution and who's credit for this. And it's, it's, it's insanity. Okay. La- last question. And then, and then we're going to wrap up because you got lots of more important things to do than talk to me all day. The audience for this show is international, but I'm an American what are some misconceptions or things that I get wrong or biases that I might have that can piss you off? Oh my gosh, this is a controversial question. <laughs> no, we, I mean, it can be, it depends on what, it depends on what your answer is, but. Okay. One of the I, things asking, I I'm always say. To, I'm asking you to broaden my, to, to broaden my approach. As a Brit, one of the things I find I'm used to now, but I used to find really jarring with the Americans because we have a lot of Americans in in our business. I don't know if I'm the only one that thinks this, but at the end of a conversation, it's just like, okay, there's no bye. There's no, have a nice day. It's just like, great, done. I'm glad you told me that because that's, I totally would have just hung up after this and be like, see ya. (laughs) That's one for me. So you do the small talk after, after the call? No small talk, but just at least say bye. (laughs) All right. That's okay. That's it. That's not so bad. That's not so bad. I like Americans. Yeah. I find Americans really full of energy, pretty straight down the line. I like working with people like that. So for me, are there any, but is there like a big difference in like approach to marketing that you, that you'd take in if you were like, Yes. I mean, one of the things actually we do do, and I learned early on was just around spelling. So as a global business, we actually in our tone of voice have a rule that you cannot use a word that is spelt differently in in British English versus American. So you have to find a creative way around saying that. (laughs) So, you know, things like we use the word bespoke in the UK and you use tailored. So it's just finding a, a word around the, around the side. I don't use either of those words. What do you use? I don't know. Tailored. I don't know how often I use tailored. <laughs> no, that's great. And do you do that because it's just it's just easier to have to then you don't have to like go and change copy every time? Yeah, exactly. For efficiency. Okay, Rosie Guest, this was awesome. I'm not going to hang. I will say bye to you after you hang up, <laughs> I promise. Where can people find you, connect with you uh, if they want to just say you were awesome on this podcast or just follow up with you at some point? Get me on LinkedIn. It's my favorite social media platform, which is really sad, but it's the truth. No, no, there's nothing wrong. There's, please, <laughs> don't listen to these, this TikTok, whatever else these people are doing today. LinkedIn is awesome. All right, Rosie, thank you so much. And uh, we will talk to everybody on the next episode. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Pipeline Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Gerhardt, Chief Brand Officer at Drift. Shout out to the crew at Drift, Molly and Elizabeth, for helping to bring this podcast to life behind the scenes. If you enjoyed this podcast, tweet at me, at Dave Gerhardt, tag at Drift also. Let me know what you liked or send me some feedback for the future. Otherwise, I will talk to you on another episode. Bye-bye.